Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. Welcome to Torah. Welcome to another episode and installment of Torah Topics where Daniel and Karina Wakeman and David and Terry Eisen are your hosts talking all things Torah. And uh, this is Parshat Sav. It's one. It's the last Parsha before uh, commencing with um, the the holiday of um, Pesach and Chag HaMatzot. So the first thing to know about this is, even though you say Passover, Pesach, and it is a week long holiday that takes place after it. So Pesach commences at the evening, then. That begins Chag, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, is what it's called, and that's also written in the New Testament as well. Yeah, Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? As mentioned, so Indeed. that's seven days, right? Commencing with the Passover meal, which is usually guided by some kind of a thing called a Haggadah. Uh, Haggadah is a, um, a telling, is what that means. So it's like a order of service, basically. So we could probably do a whole program just about a Haggadah, but let's just summarize it. Usually it involves retelling this a story of a liberation of the escape of the happy you know getting out of Mitzrayim, getting out of egypt getting out of the slavery mm-hmm. <laughs> and there are four questions that are asked in the uh yeah i know how ironic so four questions that are asked in in the haggadah you know like what all other nights we uh, can eat leaven. Why do we not, Why do we have only unleavened? Right. That's right. one. We can research the four questions if we need to go there. But this whole thing does bring up these other questions, and we can we can talk about really quick. Um, the point that I wanted to make there is that Pesach is a one night Chag Hamatzot or Feast of Unleavened Bread is seven days. And we are also supposed to get the yeast, get the leaven out of our houses and not be eating any during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Indeed. <laughs> That's <laughs> sticking with the basics, right? Sticking with the basics. <clears throat> so that's coming up next week on the, uh, I always know that it's the 15th day of the first month. <laughs> tell me how tell me how we know that. <laughs> the Bible says so. <laughs> the Bible says so, right? The Bible tells me so. <laughs> yes. It is the fifteenth day. Fourteenth day technically. It's a fifty Okay, so since the day ends, right? So a little technicality here, since the day ends at sundown so it's really it says bain ha'ar bayim between the evenings right so it's at the point of changing from the 14th to the 15th so usually the majority of a haggadah takes place on the 15th technically so but your planning works around the 14th <laughs> it's the end of the day of the 14th 
He knew the, all this, right? Of the Hebrew month, not the of, Gregorian month. Right. So let's talk about that. So the Hebrew month in the scripture, it's the Hebrew month of Eve. Right. Aviv. <laughs> right. That's the name of it. And you can find that in Exodus chapter 12. <clears throat> that month. Mm-hmm. And this this Torah of the Passover in various places, including Leviticus 23. <clears throat> so um I thought of something, but now I'm not remembering. So why don't we go ahead and oh, so when we're getting ready for this and we're taking all the leaven out, um, <laughs> and trying to figure out how to do this, <laughs> some questions come up, right? Right. Not just a moment ago, I talked about questions. Don't we don't want to confuse the two. So questions that I were was talking about are from the Haggadah. Let me just go ahead and cover that really quick. So the Haggadah asks four questions, and most Haggadah Haggadots use these. Yeah. For some reason, the program did not launch. Okay. All right. Question one. On all nights, we need not dip even once, but on this night, we do so twice. Number that's two. One. Yep, that's yeah. one. That's you want me to, right. Do we yeah, want... go ahead and read them, yes. Okay. Yes. Number Second two. One. On all nights, we eat chametz or matzah, and on this night, only matzah. On three, on all nights, we eat any kind of vegetables, and on this night, maro. And finally, fourth, on all nights, we eat sitting upright or reclining. And on this night, we all recline. As in, like, why are we doing this differently than on other nights? Right. And so, in Hebrew, this is, is uh, said as manishtana, manishtana halala hazeh mikol halilot. What uh, difference? What what um, differentiates this night from all other nights? That's what that question is. That's part right. of this. It's part of the prelude to this. They're they're mentioning it right here. Manishtana. Okay. So in the Haggadah, these questions are asked, and a significant amount of time is like I'm glad you asked. It's a lot of time is spent to answer these. And in a traditional Haggadah, then it opens with this question, with this statement. Avadim ha'yinoliparo be'mitzrayim. Avadim, we were avadim, we were slaves to uh, Peru, Paro in Egypt. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's how, that, and, and they're, they're getting that as a quote from the Torah. Yeah, I find that real quick. <laughs> How about that?
Okay. Well, it's got hard to find, isn't it? Okay. This is it right here. It's Deuteronomy 621. We were workers for Pharaoh in Egypt. And Hashem delivered us or brought us out from uh, from Egypt with a strong and mighty hand. So they're quoting Deuteronomy 621 as the answer commences to this question. Mm-hmm. The Haggadah, yeah, like, or these four questions really. It starts with Manishana. How how does this night differ? So the the point of the Haggadah is to talk about these why. Why the Chametz versus the Matzah? What's the meaning of all of this, right? What's what, the meaning of the... Uh, go ahead. It may be good to define what these things are. Like That's right. That would help, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, let's start with what is Chametz. All right, so... Chametz refers to as basically food with yeast in it. That's what chametz is. Kind of an all-capturing term for anything with yeast? Yes. Okay. Typically, chametz, you know, especially any kind of like rolls, you know, buns, bread, loaf of bread. Or donuts. Donuts, yes. (laughs) Can't leave them out. Correct. Something that has a rising agent of using yeast in it. Right? Yeast in it? I don't know. Does cake have yeast in it? I'm not sure how much cake is done. I don't know. You think cake is Well, I try to do just read the ingredients. I'm not an expert on like that kind of stuff, really. Uh, There were some discussions on that same thing. So that's worked. I know. So there are people who do kind of get, com- for lack of a better way of saying it, um, lack of clarity on this topic. <laughs> um, let's let's stay on the topic here. So chametz means yeast. Matzah means unleavened bread. That's what that means. So the classic, you know, it's... He's holding something up. Yummy. Probably the pizza we ate for lunch today. Matzah. Uh, yeah, matzah, right? Matzah. I kind of want to make. My, I kind of want to try making my own for Shabbat or for uh, Passover. Oh yeah, I recommend. I recommend making your own. Yes. Those are official certified Manashevitz matzahs. We use them and. A variety of the homemade, the homemade kind, yes. <laughs> All so right. Would things like baking soda be considered um, something yeast-like? Comets. So we're going to get to that. Let's. The answer. That's. I, <clears throat> mm. 
Because <laughs> we got this back and forth going on. Yeah, and... I know. I want to get to that. Yeah. So the quick answer is it's not yeast. And so <clears throat> let's get back to that, okay? Okay. <laughs> only matzahs, only unleavened bread. And then number three, all nights, uh, we eat any veggies. And on this night, only maror. Maror is bitter. It's the bitter herbs, right? Right. That, you know, <laughs> some kind of horseradish type sauce or something is typically used. Yeah. Right? So it's the bitter herbs. And then this thing about the reclining and upright sitting, this is because we're on the move. We're, um, we're not staying here. We're ready to go. Right, so these are quick answers, you know, for these as far as what's in the Haggadah. Yeah. Um, the, sim the symbolism of the dip even once. And then the... So, the thing to keep in mind about this is... This is the traditional Orthodox um, Haggadah. So, some of the, you know, the symbolism is going to have, like... <laughs> tradition in it. Yeah. So I want to say this first one is why I skipped it, has to do with the the theme of the third one as well, that it's the maror, it's the bitterness of the slavery. Right? Right. So let's so we talked about defining what these words are. We can come back to these questions. Um, I would like to get these questions out that you have, right? And we can go ahead and jump into that. This is about pass Passover questions, right? Yeah. Um, that was about the baking soda, right? Yep, yep. That was one. Okay. To eat. All right, so here's what happens is um, different, like, opinions start flying around. <laughs> but what we try to do is stick with what does the text say. Now, here's what's interesting is the one thing, when you want to answer this question about leaven or about chametz, right, this word chametz that's in here, yeah. Comments, right? Mm -hmm. So the question is, what is comments? Well, the one thing that everybody seems to agree on, everybody agrees that it, uh, yeast is comments. Okay, so we can mark that down on our chalkboard, right? And we can mark on our marker board, our digital tablet, however we're doing this. Is that's the one thing everybody can agree on. However, the dissension arises really pretty much after that, the differences. So was that the extent of the questions or are there more questions about? Because I want to know how much time to spend on the baking soda. Uh, we also had a question about, like, if we were to try something other than following a Haggadah, what would be the closest to the biblical like structure of having a Passover Seder meal? 
I'm just, just, I'm just like right after he said, okay, you're to do this every year starting now, the next year and the next year. What did they do? Because they didn't, I'm assuming they didn't have a Haggadah. Could be wrong. Right. So the first question was about um, Haggadah. So <laughs> I have, we've seen a lot of different kinds of Haggadah, Haggadot, right? Right. There is a pretty much standard Orthodox Haggadah. Um, even with that, we've seen different variations with different commentaries and stuff that's in it and different various expansions of Rabbi so and so and this, you know, added in different. Okay, so that, you know, <laughs> that's fine. But we've also seen like. <laughs> lot of different variety of Haggadah that's various messianic ways that it's expressing and uh, that there's a whole lot of different <laughs> what's the word spectrum on that a lot of different um, a lot of variation there because some of them I think they lose a focus on what Passover really is about, and it's like a preachy kind of a thing where it's instead of telling the story of the Exodus, they're telling a story of the Messiah which has come. The, the right, the New Testament of the Lamb and the. Lamb, you know, and the Passover lamb, and the, and the, and yes, right. The um, uh, so some I've seen ones that do that too. Um, I've seen some in between, you know, where some of those that I'm talking about here with the extreme, the kind of over on the extreme, like kind of a New Testament only point of view, very little Torah. Those yes. don't usually get into the questions. They don't get into the questions that much because they're not really talking too much about what the plagues and the steps that Hashem used to get to bring the people out of Mitzrayim. So, what, so was, that, what was that original question? In, yeah. The specific instructions in the Torah don't, don't, doesn't just say get the lamb and then you eat it all. And then be in a state of readiness or something. Like it's very so here, right. So here's the thing to keep in mind about that. Once you're really getting to focus on this, and it's really important to do this, and probably next time we'll be in the middle of Chagamatzot and we can develop this a little more. So technically, there are two different passivars. And um, there's the corporate so, and family. Yeah, there, but more importantly, there's the very first Passover, right? So the things that took place on that first going out of Mitzrayim, out of Egypt, they're different. There, there are subtle differences in how everything is done versus the 
Bowl Passover that's been done. <laughs> we hope every year since then, <laughs> right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> there are differences. So the annual Passover that's done, like you say, okay, so it's done like uh, at a family level, right? That's different. There are differences in that, and it's important to understand them as a separate, separate category, because they are different. So, trying to think of some uh, examples, a lot of times we're looking at, you know, the the seder plate or things that it's in the haggadah, and we're trying to reconcile that with the story of what takes place with the bringing Israel out of Mitzrayim. So it raises these questions, but once you understand they really were two different things, that helps. It does help, right? And I think your question before was about the Haggadah. You're not asking what Haggadah to use or what? Not exactly. So we're um, we're hosting the Passover meal this year at our house. And there are several people from my work and several people from, you know, the people who come over for Shabbat are coming over for Passover. And given that it's Wednesday evening, Karina and I both have work in the morning and a four hour long service just seems a little intense for the time that we have to spend there. Does that make sense? It does, and it's one of the tragedies. It's one of the outcomes, the problems with all of us being in the exile. Um, yeah. Because technically, that day after Passover is a is what? Is a trivia question. The day after the Passover meal is what? In, um, remember, it's the fifteenth. It's is a, it a Sabbath. Because I thought this done was, properly. It is a as a Sabbath day. Yes. I thought it was the day of, so that's the day that I requested off for. <laughs> <laughs> See if you can put in for a change because it's the 15th. <laughs> Biblically, the 15th day of the month is a Shabbat. So these are called a midweek Shabbat. I'm going to have to amend that later next year. Next year, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'll have to, I'll take two days off. The day of to prepare and the day after. Oh, but at the end is also a Shabbat, right? Yes, the last day is a Shabbat, the seventh day. So, which in the our first day of Chagam, what's that? Yeah. Well, I'm just saying in our in this year in our case, using regular Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, so it's Thursday. So then it would be the next Thursday would also be in Shabbat, right? Yeah, Wednesday evening and then yeah. Thursday during the day. Yeah. I'm glad this difference of calendar structures isn't making things difficult because that would just be terribly unfortunate. <laughs> I was just going to check something. And this part, the Orthodox pretty well follow the Torah. They don't, they're not, there's not too much like. Um, so-called enactment laws and stuff on this. Here's let's see what the Karaites have to say about this. All right, so Chag, they're saying they're saying the same thing. Chag Amatzot, the feast of unleavened bread, commemorates Exodus from Egypt. Chag, which is a festival, 
a matzola is unleavened bread or feast of unleavened bread last seven days from the 15th which is that day immediately following the 14th <laughs> you took off <laughs> anyway anyway that's the first shabbat right? and then through the 21st of the first month all right so right the 21 is day seven right observing the sabbath on on that saturday so like this week there's three yeah that that shabbat in the middle is an unre- that's a different shabbat yes that's the weekly shabbat correct so if we did this right and i understand fully it's we're in a gilos here and you can't do it like completely right i've it's been a struggle for us as well work schedules <laughs> they don't follow so, this yeah so we're uh we're in this place where we're gonna try and cut it down time-wise to anywhere from 30 minutes to an hour somewhere in there and and uh i mean i'm not sure there's a haggadah that has it that low <laughs> so uh, i guess what we're wanting to do, if we can, is to look at what the scripture says to do and build on that instead of what the traditions are presently. Does that make sense? Yeah, we'll get. To, I understand now. That makes it clear. So, getting back to this, we if you said that, so it's. Uh, let me check the calendar. Is it the uh, the night of? Yes. middle of the week next yes it's so called fifth of april or 15th 14th moving to the 15th right yeah, so that yeah. means yes the yom Hamishi is thursday that'll be the shabbat but the following week like that's one two three four five six seven it would be the yom revi the so-called wednesday right Two different Shabbats, but it's not the same day on each week. That's all I want to say on that. Right. If you, the, the weekly Shabbat would be the day right after the Passover meal, plus exactly seven days later, which would be the day of the week prior to that. <laughs> Is that clear? What I'm, technically, if we could do it right. Yeah. I don't know if it would do any good to superimpose this Gregorian calendar. So Wednesday the 6th, Thursday the 6th, is a, Wednesday the 5th, it starts, right? So mm-hmm. the Shabbat takes place on this 6th, and then the second ending Shabbat takes place on the 12th. If you'll count those, see that? 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7 on the 12th always had a question since we've gone down started down this path well this is supposed to be the first month of the year right yes of the it's of the yes the biblical year why does it seem like it's this big deal for all the you know yeah in the jewish world it's rosh hashanah but that's in the fall (laughs) so I think he said something in regards to what Carrie's asking last week or the week before. I think he said something that was kind of like, I never thought of that. Um, but it seemed to indicate that for the Jewish perspective, 
there could be multiple firsts of the year. Is that right? Or is that? <laughs> That's actually technically true. Yes, but they don't. Um, this the calendar of annual holidays doesn't follow the scripture, right? Hmm. It, or at least, let me rephrase that. The sequence of the months do, but the way that they're counting them does not. Uh -huh. <laughs> the way that they're counting them doesn't. And, and the, the thing you pointed out, I'd almost like to defer this whole discussion about Rosh Hashanah. Let's, uh, let's get back to that. And we'll we can get past this Haggadah question because it's going to be a it's going to be a bit of a trail, okay? So that question is about what's with Rosh Hashanah in the fall when the scripture says Rosh Hashanah is supposed to be in the spring, and are there two different calendars? <laughs> I think that's what you just said, right? <laughs> the, I, Yes, there are technically they 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 do make a distinction. The Jewish they do make a distinction between. Um, I think I don't remember the other name of it. They have two different names, and one refers to, well, the beginning of the year takes place in Aviv, or and they actually give it a different name called Nisan. So Nisan is equal to Aviv. Okay, it's the same month, and so that's one calendar, and they give that a name. Um, I kind of tuned it out, <laughs> but I, I tuned it out because it, you know it's the real one, okay? And so there's a whole thing about this. Uh, the Karaites follow what you're thinking, the way you're thinking, the way I'm thinking, the way we would do this. Right. The Karaites do follow it, and. Uh, the Karaite calendar puts Rosh Hashanah in the spring. And that's because of Exodus chapter 12. Mm -hmm. And they also do moon sightings to declare Rosh Chodesh, which is the beginning of the month. And so you do 12 Rosh Chodesh, and then you check the barley and the condition of the barley in the fields in Israel, and if that's Aviv or ripe, then you don't add the month of a darvet. Am I saying too much? That's pretty complicated sounding. I don't mean, you know, but there's a check of the condition of the Aviv and, and of the barley in Israel to decide whether or not to add the month. It's not pre programmed in a Karai calendar. Interesting. So they don't, they don't technically, they do not follow like strict adherence to the, what's called the Jewish calendar. The Jewish calendar has, it's really the Hillel 2 calendar. It, it has this stuff all pre-calculated. Right. It's quite accurate and it's, it's accurate in its calculations. It just happens that it doesn't follow the scripture. All the scripture for the for the new year. Now, why did they now, why did they do that? Okay, so the, the history on that I'm oversimplifying ter very much to say if I answer this, but there was a Sanhedrin decision, and I don't know what year that was, 
but it was changed from the spring to be in the fall for the Rosh Hashanah for the calendar, right? Um, it did not affect the biblical, the day of the Passover didn't affect Shavuot, it didn't affect Pentecost or Tabernacles. Pentecost is, that's the English way of saying Shavuot. So did what, not affect uh, Sukkot, right? What, was Go the ahead. reason they did that to conform to an occupying power? Or, like, I, I don't understand yeah. why the change happened in the first place. The explanation that I heard and is rooting it in, well, it was, it was going to be easier for the people in the exile to keep these, keep their calendar. <laughs> that was the reason. It was a, as long as there was a Sanhedrin, they believed they had the power to change that. And since there hasn't been a Sanhedrin since the time of the Romans, that's why it's never been changed back. <laughs> that's a quick... Which, supposedly the Mashiach is supposed to reinstate upon his arrival. The Supposed Sanhedrin and the temple, yes. That, uh, that belief structure is out there, right? Yeah, I've, I've heard that before. So the Sanhedrin moved Rosh Hashanah from the month of Aviv, beginning of the month of Aviv, to the beginning of exactly six months later. And I don't remember the name of that month. I want to say Tishlev, but let's see if that's right. <laughs> okay. And see, the other thing is, the names of these months don't actually appear in the Tanakh. Elul. Weren't they, weren't they from Babylon? They are Babylonian, yes. Well, that's a little credit to the Babylonians because they were extremely good timekeepers. And <laughs> there's a history of the Hillel 2 calendar that goes all the way back to Babylon and the, and the formulas that were used for the counting of months there. That's a little bit of a side sidebar. So this is saying that the sixth month is Elul. Yes, month number six, right? So the first month is Aviv or Nisan, and then I don't have all these memorized, but it advances through, and Elul is the sixth month. And of course, six months at the end of six months is the Jewish Rosh Hashanah according to the Sanhedrin. Did, did the Jewish months adopt Babylonian names during the Babylonian captivity? Is that that is my That is my understanding of how that happened, yes. Okay, I gotcha. Now, in most of the Tanakh, they're, um, most of the Torah, the months don't have a name, they just have an order and all. So it might say that, you know, Kodesh Shalishi, right? Third month. <laughs> don't you mean a number? Right. Like the days of the or, week. Like that, right. Most of the time, the months, if you go to the Torah, it's it's all over the place, you know. That is that's how it says it. So is, like, is it is it possible that the reason that was the Hebraic way to identify which 
day of the week and which which month of the year you're referring to do you think maybe because we we tend to have you know these these concepts named after deity and so i feel like maybe that was the reason god set up to where it ought to be the first month the second month the first day the second day as opposed to the day for the sun the day for the moon so on and so forth the day for the big god the day for the ugly god the day for the thunder god you know right right. that's right like is this whole i feel like a little bit this whole system is based i mean like the whole naming system we have uh, for our uh, identification of time itself is based in this pagan ideals and system, so on and so forth. These yeah, dates are named in honor of these pagan gods. Yeah, it, it is a struggle. It is definitely, a, it, it has been a struggle even for us, um, you know, without going down too much of a tangent. Um for reasons that are not, I don't really know the answer of why, um, but the practice of like teachers in the Jewish, you know, rabbis or whatever, they still call it by the English name instead well, of like substituting, you know, we'll meet on Wednesday or instead of saying we'll meet on Yom Revi'i. So they must have a halakha on that. <laughs> also, um, what do the names in Babylonian speech translate to? What do they mean? Well, right. So that's another good question. I've seen that. We would have to get prepared. You know that. Yeah, those. Um, so what's interesting is there's some correspondence between the month names and like some kind of Hebraic meaning behind them. I've even seen teachings on this. So even if they're Babylonian names, they're still like an embedded Hebrew meaning. Like this is talking about it. Elul. And that they have what? um, Attached to a verse in Song of Songs. That's because the letters do match that. Ani le dodi ve dodi li. I see. However, your question was about the names. Which would be Nissan in this case, right? Yes. Nissan? Right. So Nissan, or, you know, yes. The Hebrew calendar, Jewish months of the year. <laughs> I like what they did there with the website, Ivri Talk, because Ivri ends in T and talk starts with So it's like a conjunction. All right, so according, this is what we're talking about. So this name, it was the beginning of the seventh month, Tishrei. Well, I was right about that, actually, but it wasn't the sixth. It was the end of the sixth. It was a little, a little. Mm-hmm. So the Tishrei is, Tishrei 1 is Rosh Hashanah on the um, Sanhedrin, you know, approved 
the beginning of the year starts in the fall uh, calendar. Right. Oh, there is this. Well, I don't want to do that. That's too much of a. I don't want to talk about that. But we're trying to find what these words mean. You were trying to find the maybe the what these words mean in the Babylonian language. Well, That's what, a good question. Right. What the actual Babylonian names of the Hebrew months translate to? Like, are they also? My question was, did they also correspond with? Uh, pagan deities the way that the Gregorian calendar names do. Well, it says that they were. <laughs> That's what really is remarkable about this. Oh, I mean, there's an open admission here. The Babylonian months uh, uh, were named after Babylonian lowercase gods or based on natural events. <laughs> for, for example, Tammuz is named after Tammuz. <laughs> So it does raise a little. It does raise a question, you know, like why would you use these names, right? A little bit, yeah. I'm a, it's a little concerning. <laughs> well, this is a, this is coming from the Jerusalem Post, so maybe it's. I mean, they're. I'm not sure. I always agree with what the Jerusalem Post comes out with. Well, that's that. You know, that's a really good point. And this whole thing, it's your approach to how to do this Haggadah is really the right way to do it. And we were going to talk about this comments question because we're looking at an evolution, unfolding of history and tradition that maybe has stuff that we couldn't accept. And I, I agree, it is troubling. I don't know. I've heard some arguments and lessons and they're moving it the other direction with these names. Um, but there's a, there's a kind of a lingering question of why if if the thing if it doesn't have a hebrew name to begin with in the torah why would you use that why wouldn't you just why would you not just call it you know like six month right fourth month and if you if you look at the torah the way it's worded if you want to use the torah as the pattern because you can go anywhere i mean book of numbers verse uh, chapter one verse one right lord spoke to moshe in the wilderness of sinai in the tabernacle of the congregation on the first day, <laughs> this day doesn't have a name. Of the See second that? month. Of the second month, right? So this was the even second the month second and the first year after the case. So even the year. <laughs> yeah, even the year. Right. The year has no uh, funny name. The month doesn't. The day doesn't. We don't really have names for years either, but. Maybe I wonder if there are cultures that like have specific names for specific years or something. Well, the Chinese <laughs> the year. Of the well, the Chinese do, yeah. It's like the year of the, you know, <laughs> not a dolphin, but it's some. It's the year of the dog this year. <laughs> they That's, do have that. Yeah, I didn't think about the Chinese. Kasha, <laughs> kasha. That's a little tiny. 
I don't know if I should put this on here or not. Well, see. basically, I just, yeah, I, I feel like the way we divide time up a lot of time, um, what is it? Have you ever heard of Hegel, Friedrich Hegel? Hegel, yes. The, the, yeah, the, yeah. the material dialectic, whatever. Yes, person. he was yes. really big on that. And he, the way, as far as I understand, and I haven't been able to read a whole lot of him, but I understand that different people interpret him in different ways. And that kind of determined whether or not you became a lefty or a righty from his perspective. Um, and so he, in his, as far as I understand, kind of deified time itself. Like the process of time is what shapes society into a state of perfection, right? And so I feel like this process of giving names of deities and or really anything to these systems of tracking time help to contribute towards that sort of perspective where time itself becomes your god does that make sense what i'm trying it's yes. very difficult to put that into words but yeah so it, it, it kind of over magnifies you know the time or something's disproportional i mean and out of it, it's order. almost as if you're molding time itself into an idol. Right, that's the way I mean it, though. Hegel, I think that's kind of what Hegel did, and that has shaped societies all over the world since then. Very difficult to explain, but it's something like that. Right, I agree, and we're not supposed to, like... You're supposed to use like the stars and the sun, the moon for a clock. That's okay. You're allowed to do that. That's in Genesis <laughs> one verse fourteen. Right. But like to like give the special meaning of these, you know, delegates or servants of God, and kind of turn these into idols. And mo there's a very interesting passage in, in um, Deuteronomy. Where Moshe talks about this, this very thing. He says, um, Deuteronomy 4, verse 19, for that same reason, uh, unless you look your, lift your eyes up to heaven and you look at the sun the moon and the stars <laughs> because these are the time clock that Hashem has that's why it's a it's a chrono it's a uh, it's like a big natural i'm trying to think of the word a chrono a chronology chronology device sort of that's what these are they're intended to be that way that's what Moshe is saying you're going to look up there and then uh, you'll be driven to worship them. <laughs> that's what you're talking about. Yes. You'll be compelled to worship them and serve them, which the Lord has divided into all nations under the whole heaven. They're just a, they're a uh, pragmatic purpose they have. When Not we some big, yeah. When we start yeah. going through the Torah portion, Karina and I, we uh, started, I think we might have been 
in Deuteronomy or something like that, but we read this passage and Carrie asked this question that I don't really know how to answer. Um, it, it, the question is something like, why would God uh, a lot to all the peoples, all of these different things that they worship in the, in the heavens? Like, why would God... Why would God design the system for these people to worship the heavens, essentially? And um, huh, help me out, Carrie. I don't remember. Did I? You ask don't remember that? it. You did. <laughs> I don't and so, um, but I, my, I think if I remember correctly, I think my take on it was God has given these people up to the intentions of, the, of their heart, which is to worship these celestial bodies um not really a strong oh, answer my question was more like your god has allotted to all the people so that that's what like, i'm saying yeah given to them or do you want them to worship Something exactly so so my point was i don't think god wants them to worship the celestial bodies i think he just kind of gave them up to their own desires and passions because they wanted to but i mean it you you weren't finding that answer very convincing. No, so. it's still not convincing. <laughs> Sorry, I mean I don't remember that discussion, but I'm coming to the same conclusion. <laughs> yeah. So this verse says that it really is a choice. You don't have to do that. You might feel um, compelled to do it, and this word means um, pushed or impelled or compelled to do it but you still don't have to that's what Moshe is saying you know watch yourself don't do this there's no reason to do this <laughs> but i think i think the the problem that is being had is that it it's saying adonai your god has allotted these the celestial the worship of the celestial bodies uh to all the peoples under the sky under the entire what is what this verse is saying, <clears throat> no, actually what it's saying is the celestial bodies, the stars, sun, moon, the, and the host of heaven, have been appointed by Hashem, your God, to all the peoples under all the heavens. They have, in other words, for all people to be able to keep track of them sort of thing, keep track of time. Yeah. Well, it's you can easily get the time because of Genesis one fourteen. Yes, you can easily get that approach for the time. But this says <clears throat> um, the way they translated has divided unto all nations, has allotted these to the peoples. These meaning <laughs> the unspiritualized. You know, sun, moon, and stars, right? Yeah. <laughs> Don't look at these and spiritualize them. Because you were saying that time was being spiritualized. And well, that's, that's closely related to this verse. Indeed. Right? Or, or turned into an idol of some kind. For sure. That's what Moshe is saying. Avoid the impulse to I. You there? Did we lose you? Apparently, I do have Skype on my phone. I Hello? Did I get muted? There you are. I, I think it was more than that because your video uh, had stopped up as well. Right. So the last, the last thing we said is that this is about making idols of the sun and the moon. 
you know, just treat them as like utility, not uh, some kind of a, like a deity. <laughs> yeah. Right. Something useful by put there by the creator, but they're not like. Are you there? Hi. Saying. Uh. You're just now coming back. I uh, I didn't hear a good portion of what you were saying. Yeah. Huh. Oh, look. Poor connection. Switch to audio only. That us? Maybe you're right. No, that's coming from his screen, not ours. Oh. Well, it's just Tracy had just been asking me about our internet password. Oh, uh, no. It, trying to leech off our system, I see. <laughs> I joke. <laughs> All right, so you said there was a technical problem? Yes, but I think you might be back now. This verse says that the sun and moon are put there for everybody to use. So don't bow down and worship them like they have some spiritual, you know, like meaning. <laughs> don't idolize these. And the Now, recap. you had mentioned, right? Right. You want me to continue or? This is closely related to that. Yeah. The recap. Because. Sorry. Well, you know, Koso, I mean, it was the ancients had advanced understanding of astrology as well. So don't forget that. Right. <laughs> but even if there's anything to that, then, you know, you're not supposed to bow down and worship that either. <sighs> to recap what Try he said divine, about, yeah. about the issue that we we're having is that when it's saying Adonai your God has allotted these to all the peoples under the entire sky it's referring specifically to the sun, moon, and stars and everything in the sky without there being like special emphasis and deity-ness attached to them. So just the the sky clock itself. Oh. I think I'll call them that from now on. The sky clock. I think you're muted. No, he's not. His mouth moved. No, I'm not muted. Oh. No, no, it's. <clears throat> you don't like my sky clock word? No, I think it's perfect because you have to understand. I mean, the ancients really had much more communication and understa understanding of. I mean the whole you know the whole zodiac and the way the stars moved and everything and um the counting of time and lunar cycles and solar very advanced understanding as to how it relates to time and move, moving through time hmm. you think they got it good all i gotta do is look down my wrist oh look it's two uh 224. so that's what i'm talking about you know we're not used to we're not used to thinking about like an ancient person, you know, if, especially in, in Israel, could look at the moon um, by the phases of the moon and just about know what day of the month it was. Yeah. Yeah, I've, I've lost that art. That's really important for a person in our time to understand how integral these things were for management of life and times, right? <laughs> Like, if you have a full moon, absolute full moon, br brilliant, you know, the highest level of uh, brightness, that's actually the 15th day of the month. That's what that means, right? And, and, a, and a completely so-called week, you know, the farmer's almanac or whatever they call it, the new moon. 
that is considered that's usually the 29th or the 30th day of the Hebrew month of the Hebrew month. So that that moon itself, you could learn to interpret the phases like you would know within just by looking what day it was of the month. Mm -hmm. You would that that ability is there just from Genesis 114. And yep. the quarter moon, right? So a quarter moon's halfway. That's like the seventh. It's halfway between the first and the fifteenth. Right. Could be the eighth, right? So not only do they have people reckoning time day by day and chronicling it and writing down whatever took place, you know, and that kind of thing, but you also have a second, you know, witness anybody can look up and see what day, what the month date is in particular. So, since you had the date of Rosh Chodesh, which you knew what day of the week that was, you could figure by the month number of days that have transpired, you could figure out what day of the month it is. Mm -hmm. and so that that's really close, like com communication with these. Uh, <laughs> what are you gonna call it? The sky clock. It's yep. a really big deal. What you're saying. I've done it to a certain extent, you know, I mean, if you look up at the moon, if, if it's not cloudy on, you know, next week on uh, Passover, look up and see it. <laughs> That's the sign. It's the 15th. And most of these biblical holidays take place on um, with the full moon like that, especially Passover. So, yeah, it's a signal for the Moedim for the appointed times. It's like a notification that God wants to commune with you. Like, yes, right. <laughs> and, and, you know, and I mean, it's a legend. It's stuff, you know, legendary that people are associating more intense spirituality in the world, you know, with a full moon. Well, there's a there's a reason for that. It's based in Genesis. Yeah. Sweet. Okay. So, yeah. Rosh Hashanah, let's re summarize. Rosh Hashanah was moved by the Sanhedrin. I do not know what year, but it was moved from the beginning of the, from the spring to the fall on the, the beginning of the seventh month instead of the beginning of the first month. It was moved by six months. <laughs> so let's deal with the really hard one. <laughs> the, uh, what is comments, right? Right. Comments, what is the comments? So the one subject that we mentioned, mentioned this before, everyone seems to be able to agree that leaven in, say, Exodus 12, verse 15, that means yeast. But what happens is, I don't know if it's some kind of a, I mean, <laughs> natural desire to expand things. I, you know, it's, I want to be very careful about how I say this. Um, a person is welcome to <coughs> research what these words mean. The first word is uh, leaven, and that's um, seor. That's this word right here. It's translated as leaven, seor, right? And then the other word is uh, chametz. And all that comments means is that it has seor in it. <laughs> Get the logic, right? It has seor. What is, so all you have to do is figure out what is seor, this word. Right. 
And this word refers to yeast. That's what that is. Um, what's happening is that the, here's the logic equation that's made. Well, yeast makes bread rise. Um, baking powder, I think it's called, makes bread rise. Oh, so that's also leaven. <laughs> that isn't that what's being done in the groups that you're saying? Um, yes, and it like, to, but like to the point where I was like, come on, guys, like. <laughs> Some lady was in there with this big long list of things that she she said were also weapon and we should also be careful to avoid. And it, I don't remember now what it was, but it was baking soda, baking powder, anything derived from either of those. Yeast, of course, but there was like eight or nine things. Simplify your life and believe it as yeast. And that's what this word means. I don't mean any disrespect for if, if somebody has a what do you call it? A sincerely held belief that or includes baking soda. Uh, we don't mean you any disrespect. It's just not where we're um, the way that we're understanding this word and its application. This word or sin alifresh has a specific meaning in Hebrew. Um, let's go to another verse. Chametz here just refers to it has has yeast in it. That's Leviticus six seventeen, right? <coughs> that, that's not referring to Passover. That's just referring to stuff that's going on in the temple. Uh, same thing with Exodus thirty four twenty five. Oh, the wait a minute, that is Passover. <laughs> okay, so you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with yeast, with comets, is what it says. Neither shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left for the morning. So it turns out that um, this, 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 I, I've been through these before. These arguments, just like you're talking about, where people are making this big expanded list of all these things that are they're saying you shouldn't be part of Passover but this question came up it turns out that um, even on the rabbinic side which is typically like you know really strict yeah. they don't they don't say that baking soda is leaven Oh, that was that was the thing. So Harry uh, was on the group, and one of the things they put up was the uh, packets for making matzo balls, and it had baking soda in it. So she was like, "Just so everyone knows, this has leaven in it." And I'm like, "If it's made, if those are matzo ball mix, if that's what that is, then it's probably made by a Jewish source." And if it's right. from a Jewish source and it advertises this for Passover, matzo ball soup, that sort of thing, it's probably kosher for Passover. <laughs> I would think. I could be wrong. I don't know. But it seems like this is coming from the people that say we should be eating kosher. And so I feel like they would know. Whether or not baking soda is kosher, I don't know. Nuts. It is. Um, it's unfortunate that pe that 
that it's making it complicated, something that's quite simple in the Hebrew. The Hebrew does not say a product that makes bread rise or dough rise. It doesn't actually say that. Here's a very interesting uh, statement. I mean, you know, you have to you have to believe one thing about the Orthodox is that they're thorough. They are very thorough. Yeah. <laughs> we may not agree with how they have reached their conclusions, but we will respect that they are thorough. And yeah. in in oh. this is saying this baking powder, as long as you have this correct kosher type of baking powder is perfectly usable for Passover. I imagine it's been blessed by a rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> yes, they do have rabbinic supervision of the kosher, yes. So, you know, that <clears throat> that should settle, I hope that settles the question for lots and lots of people really just struggling with this because um, another one that we did some work, it, it was some, you get this hydrolyzed yeast extract stuff. That sounds like it's, you know, yeast. <laughs> but yeah. that's not, it's not the same thing. So you can have hydrolyzed yeast extract because that's not the same thing as yeast. Huh. Okay. <sighs> Does that also make bread rice? <laughs> I don't think it has anything to do with that. That's why this stuff goes in like three tangents at once. And then this little section here, if you want to follow the orthodox on this, then if if you have barley spelt, oats, wheat, or rye, any of those, and the water gets on it for, it says, um, yeah, I think it's 10 minutes, then that's comments. So I don't follow this rule, but that's this say. is just for general knowledge. Yeah, that's so that's how far the orthodox go. You can't have uh, water coming into contact with any of these grains for more than 10 minutes. That'll be comments. That's ah. according to the orthodox, right? <laughs> OK. So then this article is saying, well, Here's all kind of stuff that is kosher. Look, they're usable for Passover, right? Look at this right here. Arm and Hammer. See that? Yep. Arm and Hammer baking soda. Wait, 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 not wait, wait. Active dry yeast. That's what Not sure how they're getting that. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Is they, uh, we use that every week in our bread, you know, our challah. And I, I didn't think we could make challah this this coming Shabbat. Well, thing. that is very confusing. I don't, I don't know how they're saying that, but I do know for a fact that this baking soda, the baking powder, the corn starch, this stuff is all like passes as long as it's you know the kosher brand and it passes with the Orthodox, and it's not yeast. Weird. So obvious. Yeah, I know. The photograph made it look like yeast was not yeast. Well, I didn't say that. <laughs> so, like, I, I suppose the next big thing would be 
what are the different um, aspects that we should include in Passover if we're yeah, not let's get to that. Right, yeah. that's right. I forgot about that. We want to talk, cover that before we end. Yeah. So this here's you can use Deuteronomy six twenty and twenty one. 22, 23, 24. So 620 through 24. It's part of the answer, right? Okay. Let's go ahead and read it if we can. Okay. For the listener, you know. <clears throat> All right. Yeah, so, you, I'll let you go ahead and read that. Sure. Someday your child will ask you, what is the meaning of the instruction, laws, and rulings which Adonai, our God, has laid down for you? Then you will tell your child, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt, and Adonai brought us out of Egypt with a strong hand. Adonai worked great and terrible signs and wonders against Egypt, Pharaoh, and all his household before our very eyes. He brought us out from there in order to bring us to the land he has sworn to our ancestors that he would give us. Adonai ordered us to observe all these laws, to fear Adonai our God, always for our own good, so that he might keep us alive as we are today. So that's like an undergirding of what the Haggadah is. The Haggadah reasserts these, you know, this chronology, this history, and these truths, right? And right is putting it in the context of it was our our God, our Elo, Hashem Eloheinu, who brought us out of Mitzrayim. So that's one. And another one is, and I had a tab here, but I don't know what happened. Yeah, this was it right here. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 5, verse 15 is another one. You can read that one. And Hang oh. on here. And, and remember, right? <laughs> and remember, so that, the, oh, right. sorry, go for it. Well, all I wanted to tell you is we're answering the question like the de minimis, absolute, you know, what is a core? Get the point across, Haggadah consists of. <laughs> right? That's what we're working on. Indeed. Go ahead. Deuteronomy 5.15. And remember that thou wast a servant in the land of Egypt. Oh, this is a King James Version. That's why. It's you can get out here if you want. There we go. Yeah. And you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out of there by a mighty hand and by an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Right. So the Sabbath day and the Passover are intrinsically connected. That's another very interesting detail about this. Mm -hmm. All right. So that was 515. Hang on here. Let's. Uh, I like this one. And the Lord spoke to Moshe in the wilderness, uh, the Midbar Sinai, in the first month of the second year after they had come out of the land of Egypt. There it is again, right? So there's no named months here. <laughs> right. Let. The, the Bnei Israel, the children of Israel, ought to do the Pesach in its appointed time. 
Add that to your Haggadah. That's a good one right there. Numbers they, 9, 1, 2. They're saying let the sons of Israel observe, and that's fine, but I worded it as they ought to, okay? <laughs> that's what the Hebrew is doing. He's just using prepare. Right here, go on to Numbers 9, verse 3. In the 14th day of this month, between the eat, well, uh, at twilight. That's too much. Yeah. It, it, it means that it does mean at twilight. It's the point of where the day is changing to the next date. Oh. On the 14th day of this month, at twilight, you shall observe it, it at its appointed time. You shall observe it according to all of its. Um, Chukotav, those are statutes, and according to its ordinances. Yes, so doing it in the proper way. And then verse 4, Moshe said, or spoke to the children of Israel, that there's the ought to right there. See that? See, mm -hmm. they, <laughs> they, they translated with ought to or should, at least in the KJV they did. But that's the, uh, you know, the, that was the thing I think it was picked up on this. It's evident in the wording right here as well, that they should or ought to. Yeah. And it's repeated in verse 4. See that? KJV says they should keep the Passover, right? Something you ought to do. Well, you can add that to the Haggadah. It's this integral or essential idea that it's part of a national identity of Israel that we keep Passover. It's, right. it's, it's, it's like, you know, so Americans have the 4th of July, right? And it's like their national identity or they may identify with a flag or they may identify with certain, what, Americanisms, right? Well, this is similar to that. It's, it's identifying with to do, this word means do the Passover. Doing it, <laughs> they're saying keep. These translations say observe. This one says celebrate. This one says prepare. But the, the verb here means do. <laughs> and then verse 5, and so because they should and because they ought to, they did. <laughs> That's what verse 5 is saying. Yeah. Um, and then they... They did the Passover on the first Barishon Barba on the Barishon, that's the beginning, on the 14th day of the month. Yom. Um, yeah, I can that. Yom. Asar, 14th day of the month between the evenings at twilight in the wilderness of Sinai. As everything that Hashem Tziva commanded uh, Moshe, they did. The Bnei Israel. So the only word Parishon, are they translating that? I don't see that in the translation. They kept the Passover on the 14th day. There's nothing about the Rishon. Hmm. And and they prepare the Passover on the first. Maybe that's the Rishon. 
the first month. It's got to be referring to that. Okay. The first 14th day of the first month. So it doesn't actually say month here, but it's saying the first. So the first month. I anyway. Yeah, that was a very interesting grammar for me to try to figure that out. Okay, so. Yeah, then it goes on to this other thing about the second Passover. We'll have to we'll save that for next time. All right, so that's Deuteronomy. What is it? Nine. Nine, one through five. Yeah. <laughs> The essential idea you want to get across in the Haggadah is it, you can, this idea of the deliverance and the, the escape from Mitzrayim, escape from Egypt, right? Right. And that Hashem did it for his people. And that we are obligated to not only remember it like that, it's a memorial, a zikharon, but it's also relate to it as if it's happening with you today, because it's it has this spiritual meaning, like of coming out of you know, this this uh, what do you call it? House of bondage. Curse. Yeah, the house of bondage of sin, <laughs> the bondage of selfishness, the bondage of whatever you know that kind of a yes. The state of sin fullness and into the liberty and the freedom of the promised land metaphorically yes so you should see it as a way that it represents like you know in a way you could draw a parallel like the you know the christian idea of salvation i was once lost and now i'm you know free <laughs> that idea is it's latent within there well, I kind of feel like it's... Uh, Elohim did it. Okay, go ahead. Yes. Well, right right now, you, me, Karina, everyone, you know, everyone who attaches himself to Adonai, who are descended from the, you know, Northern Kingdom, um, I feel like this is, uh, like, telling specifically to our situation where we're yet to be gathered back into the Holy Land. That, too. You can const you can put that in. It has that prophetic quality as well. Yes. Yeah, I, I kind of that was my thought. Is uh, I kind of want to include that. Also, um, I also wanted to include the connection with communion, where you know every time communion is taken, they quote Jesus as saying, "As often as you do this, do so in memory of me." Yada yada. Uh, as communion really is a Seder meal, I feel like it would be appropriate to link that as well. You know what I mean? So maybe like talk, uh, have the first section on the deliverance of Israel out of Egypt, the second section about how we're um, uh, dispersed in, in, you know, inside our dispersion at the moment, but will be redeemed, and about how Mashi the Mashiach is coming again. It will draw us in to the promised land in the future. Something along those lines. Yeah, and there's a little more you could put in, but it might be too much for your 45 minute time limit. <laughs> no, time is, time is precious. It's very, not that I'm deifying it or anything. 
Oh no, I understand. (laughs) Trying to figure, yeah, trying to think of the words I had to say it. It's there's an even greater redemption coming. Yeah. (laughs) Say it like that. There is an even greater redemption coming. There is even greater redemption coming. Coming then, yeah, and that's this restoration of the all the house of Israel. That's what that, yep. <laughs> and that's prophetically alluded to here in this as well. Indeed. So that and that's what I've heard you say. I really think it's worth developing, right? I feel like we're kind of making a Haggadah, not only for ourselves, but for the Lost Kingdom. You know, anyone who subscribes to that idea and celebrates Passover, maybe they would be interested in in taking this uh, homemade Haggadah, you know? Well, it's a project you can work on. Mm -hmm. And you can just keep Well, I have until Wednesday. (laughs) So. I think this is. Next year. All right, let so and try to wrap things up here. Let's. I want to talk a little bit about the uh, parsha. At least one, one. You know, we do have a parsha, a whole parsha that we have (laughs) from. I'm trying to find the verse, and you have the verse uh, in chapter six. It's uh, six nine. I just found it. Okay, (laughs) never mind. (laughs) You hear that joke? What? There's a joke. The uh, rabbi was looking, going to a conference and driving around and around the city block trying to find a parking space and oh, make a prayer. Yeah, yeah. To us, him, right? <laughs> oh, Lord. Can you help me find a parking place? Oh, I need, I need help to find a parking place. And then he's driving along and all of a sudden the car pulls out right there. It's one. <laughs> he drives in there. Says no, never mind. I just found one. <laughs> That's my joke. You stole my joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I joke. That's fine. <laughs> Spread it around. You know. That is a funny joke, really. May it be. Uh, I mean, <laughs> we just don't <laughs> act like that. So we'll make this a very short lesson here. Um, Parshat Sav is is dealing with more details of the Korban. Um, we talked about that last time. There are some different Korbanot that appear in this one. We didn't have them last week. I'll see if I can find it. The thing that I wanted to point out is the very first word in this uh, parsha, Leviticus 6.2. Tzav. Tzav, right. That's what that is. Leviticus 6.2. Yeah, Tzav. Six, right? Yep. Oh, interestingly enough, uh, Safari, now when you open it, uh, the Tanakh, it tells you the Torah portion, which um, they, it used to not do on my phone, but now it does. Well, that's nice. So that's pretty cool. One thing, yeah, one thing I'm looking forward to is having different language, different translations down here. 
that's that's another one. Yeah, it's really been a great tool. I'm still anyway, working on the extra one that's there. So this this word we talked about it's the uh, we talked about in reference to the create um, right after the creation that uh, Hashem um, Siva he commanded Adam to not eat from the tree of the garden. But then here comes the the rattlesnake, <laughs> the serpent, whatever. That's metaphorical, right? The Nachash, and asked Eve, did 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 Hashem really say that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the using the word "say" was a problem. That's what we talked about last time. Yes, because this word does not mean said it. This has got a really different meaning. The command can be issued by saying an order, but the uh, the meaning behind the words is stronger than said. Mm-hmm. So Eve says, Eve says to him, to the serpent, "Well, Elohim said we should not eat it." Mentioned. And we talked about what's what's that? It's really interesting because. That is a complete mischaracterization of what took place. Yeah. So this is the same root word. It's uh, tzadivav. It's the opening part of the parsha, right? This tzadivav, right? Tzav. Now, what this is, grammatically, it's in the command form, and it is the word command. <laughs> so you can follow all that. Command mm-hmm. in the command form. Like you could say, bring it over, right? In English, you could say, bring that over, or think about this, or read this article, or do this and such thing. In grammar, those are called the command form. Right. It's command, right? You could tell the children, you know, do this chore or stop doing this behavior. <laughs> those are commands. Right. <sighs> okay, so tsav. And the, is the root of the means command, and it's in the grammatically the command form here in this. No question about it. It's a command. Got it. Right. All right. So that's one thing to point out about this parsha that connects with our last lesson. And then another thing was, and it, it's, it's he's it's going through the process and the different. Um, how to do the korban? Notice that in okay, so chapter seven, verse twelve. Um, I'm not. Sure, it would, I don't know if we should check a translation on this, but we talked about that. It's a common mistake to think that these korbanot is that people are bringing goats and bulls to put them on an altar to sacrifice it because they sinned. <laughs> Right, that's we talked about that misconception. Yeah, it's not a every time you sin you go offer a cow or something. That is the picture that the tradition within the church has given to people. Right. But the truth is that these korbanot, in many cases, have really nothing to do with the sin. And in this case, right here, in verse twelve of chapter seven. Um, this is saying if regarding thanks, giving thanks, if it's regarding giving thanks that he's bringing, 
uh, it. So he brings it uh, to the Zevach. It bring it upon the Zevach Hatodah. The it's a sacrifice of thanksgiving, and then it's it's a something matzot, a cake of unleavened cake, uh, mixed with oil. But this this particular korban, meaning something that brings near, because that's what the word korban means, karov, coming near and approaching, has to do with something they're being thankful about. <laughs> it's something to do with repentance and sin. I want to point this out. So like, you know, God has blessed the finances for the last six months and you're wanting to give an offer based on your own gratitude for it. So in English here it says, the one who offers it for thanksgiving. <laughs> you bring in a Corban for, to give thanks. Maybe your wife got pregnant or something. Maybe maybe the hens had eggs. Maybe the you know the cow had a calf. Yeah, I mean all these things you could be thankful for. Very practical. Right, and so you are recognizing the hand of divine providence. You're being thankful for it. Chalot matzot ve'lolot b'shemen. Um, unleavened cakes with oil mixed in, unleavened wafers spread with oil, and the cakes of choice flour with oil mixed in. <laughs> well soaked. Well soaked or well mixed, yeah. <laughs> so that was one example that it's a, it's a, um, it's just a Thanksgiving offering. Then there's another one here, that's a zevach toda, and then this is a has to do nothing to do with a toda. It has nothing to do with a asham, which is a guilt offering. It has nothing to do with a sin. It's a vow. The sacrifice has to do with the uh, a neder, which is a vow. And this is saying a free will offering, zivach, the sacrifice of his korban in the day when he brings it. At zivcho, his sacrifice shall be eaten. So is this? Shall be eaten. Is the connection of the name basically I'm making this vow of my own free will kind of thing? Yeah, that's what a neder is. That's what this vow is. But okay. Right, so this is a completely different context of bringing a korban than these Thanksgiving offerings. And the Thanksgiving offerings are completely different from the, well, there might have been a sin, we're not sure, offering. <laughs> right, and so... Then there were the ones that were not personal. They were for the whole, is the whole nation. That's what these were, the chatat, right? Um, I'm just kind of mentioning these really quick because last week we talked about that the korban is much more than just a, it's really, there's not a korban. First of all, there's not even a korban for an intentional sin anyway. Right. <laughs> That's the first point we made last week, and then the ones that are unintentional but still happened, well, there are korban out for them, but the majority of the korban don't have to do with sin. The sin. Yeah. They don't. We talked about one that was like a celebration. It was called a shlema. Yeah. And then we have the Thanksgiving offering, and I think we're all still learning about these. <laughs> 
anyway, then it moves on. Let me see. Um, I'm looking for the verse that says that this is the Torah, and it lists all the different kinds of offerings. That's what I'm looking for now. That's it, I think, right here, this verse 37. So you get down to this whole area, this whole section. In Leviticus Right, so let's, 736 says that Adonai commanded to be given to them once they had been anointed as a, they're saying as a due from the Israelites for all time throughout the ages. <laughs> yeah. Question is, is there an expiration date on this anywhere? <sighs> That's another topic, right? Yep. All right, so this says, this is the instruction for the Ola, which the burnt offering, for the Mincha, which was a like a wave. We talked about that last time, a wave or a grain offering. Well, we I mentioned them, and you were like, they're they're in next week's portion. Right, I did the minka. Is that right? Okay, so <clears throat> the purpose of the minka, I would have to look up, but I do know that it's a wave. It's it's a grain offering. All right, so the chatat is the um, those are the ones that are like a whole community, mm-hmm. like national sin issue. This yeah. is the one, is the Asham. <coughs> uh, that's the one that mm, we might have had some <laughs> on impure ingredients in the recipe. We don't know for sure, right? Right. Some unscrupulous somebody put something. <laughs> we got it informed of it later. We didn't know. We weren't guilty. That's an Asham when there's a possibility of an error. Yeah. Okay, the Miluim, they're calling these the offering of an ordination. Right, so these are like dedication offerings. That's what these are, Miluim. Mm-hmm. And the, the sacrifice of well-being, I don't know where they're getting that. The Zevach Shilamim, we talked about the Shilamim last time, which are festive. They're like... You want to celebrate. Party <laughs> time. Yeah, I know. It's so mind-boggling because there's this really somber kind of feel to all of this, you know. Oh, that is a good word. <sighs> somber. Yes. Reminds me like, of- before we had the... Look, this this idea of before we had the New Testament and it was all this, you know, macabre, you know, somber, oh, everybody, you know, sacrificing bulls and goats because they sinned. That's just not the right picture. And, and right. these Corban notes have different purposes. Mm-hmm. Nothing to do with that. So the Shalomim, that was a like festive. Like you said, let's party or something. Yeah. Party time. This version right here I've got says um, fellowship offerings. That for the Shalomim, for the end, the sacrifice of well-being? Yeah. Fellowship offerings. 
That's interesting. So, you know, that goes along with this. Party idea? Yeah, it does, really. (laughs) (laughs) Party time. Excellent. So we go back. Um, The instruction about an ola, a burn offering, a mincha, a grain offering, a chatat. It's a little bit of a struggle, but the basic picture is that it's a whole national level. Um, purification in the guilt offering you did something or you there was a sin that happened but you weren't <laughs> it was unintentional mm-hmm. the miluim they're calling this an ordination but this is a dedication um and that we just learned was the fellowship offering So you have bulls, goats, sheep, lambs, grain, birds. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think of what else is actually being done here. Drink. There's a drink offering oh, too, but that one hasn't. That's right. That one, for some reason, hasn't appeared yet, or it's embedded in one of these. So every day, the priest is offering some kind of corporate over the people offering in the morning and the evening. Is that right? Yes, that way. We read that somewhere. Yeah. And then also, the priest is doing special offerings on, uh, like, Day of Atonement or, you know, like, feasts. Yes, there is. That's that's the incense offering that's in the gold with the golden altar, yeah. incense altar. That's Yom Kippur. But that's this- a big deal. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that particular process, it, it um is to it's a like high intensity fidel, um purification for the whole the whole the whole people the whole nation. That's what that's for. In between that, anytime someone would like to, they can go and do a burn offering, a meal, a sin, or guilt, or whatever. Correct. These things, as we looked at on that other kind of a guide, it was saying these are not done every day, but somebody could come in and be planning a party, you know, for uh, a fellowship, you know. <laughs> what if I have a guilt offering? Uh, I realize that. I, oh my gosh, I didn't mean to, but it looks like we made a mistake. But, like, I don't offer the guilt offering. <clears throat> Not offer it if you I want to. I'm, I don't, no, no, like, I don't want to. So I don't, like, I don't go do it. But, like, it says I'm supposed to, but I don't. Oh, so you're, like, just willfully ignoring what the <laughs> yes. law is telling you to do? Um, yeah. Right, you're trying to, get, yeah. Cut off from your people at that point, don't you? Is that what it is? I'm, I'm, I'm asking. I don't know. Oh. All right. So you're, you're in a really, really interesting area with that. <laughs> <laughs> it's not an exaggeration to say that Hashem knows that this can happen. Ugh. <laughs> don't you know there was that, like Moshe had been up the mountain, got the tablets, had come back down. I think his face was shining, you know, glowing. It was making it clear. First thing he talks about is keep the Sabbath. And it's hardly a few verses later 
and there's somebody out like cutting firewood or whatever on on the Sabbath day. <laughs> mm-hmm. Do you remember that story? Yeah. <laughs> what are you thinking there? <laughs> After all of this clarity, right? So things are judged like that, and when you re- when you reach into that realm, only Hashem can be the judge. And he does say this idea of the soul will be cut off that Daniel just mentioned. So that soul being cut off is something that's divine retribution. And he says, I'll set my face against that person. So, you know, you got another really strong admonition about, you know, taking gold or something and fashioning an idol out of it and then bowing down and worshiping the idol. There really is a passage that says, if if an Israelite does this, I'm going to set my face against this person. It doesn't matter that they're doing it in secret. So when I was, when I was, I don't know how old, I was younger than I am now, uh, which is like, you know, anywhere from 37 years, 35, 35 35 years ago to like, you know, just yesterday. But I had trouble defining what it meant by his soul shall be cut off. And this, there's this idea by Rashi that, or at least the Rashi podcast, that when it, the scripture is saying that that shall, soul shall be cut off, it's basically that the court did not find him guilty or they didn't have the evidence to find him guilty, but he actually was guilty. And so God himself will um, cause him to die in early life or something along those lines. All of the above is true, and I, I I try not to speak really too harshly about this because yeah. you don't want to be misunderstood. Because that was um, <laughs> the question originally was, you know, I was supposed to do an asham, or I should have done this guilt, you know, the guilt offering. Ah, oh, but I just didn't do it. You know, <laughs> what happens, right? I think that was. <laughs> yeah, uh, seems like a lot of work. I'll just pass this time. Oh my. <laughs> danger, danger. <laughs> I'm in danger. That really was an old sci fi program that did that. Danger, danger. I think <laughs> the whole I'm in danger thing was a kid from The Simpsons, and he was oh, on. Oh, yeah. He was like in a room full of fire and he's got this big old smile on his face. He's like, I'm in danger. (laughs) I kind of feel like that's the approach you're going to have for the rest of your life if that's the route you decide to take. Right, so it all comes down to heart level intent. And only Hashem can be the judge of that. So my suspicion is, remember Hashem is slow to anger and much in in kindness and mercy. Yeah, it's what he does it, you know, and they get a little too distracted with life or whatever and forget or fail to do it. I don't I don't really see any consequence. <laughs> Remember, the reason for this is that they're um, coming in the presence of the holy the Shekhinah in the Mikdash, right? The, the, the Mishkan, excuse me. Right. <clears throat> So if somebody was really thinking towards God enough that they would want to come to the Mikdash, I imagine 
that they will have a thought, you know, did you ought to do that or some. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. Sincerely, I mean that. So the fact that they missed it one time is not like going to bring, it's not bringing this big retributive justice. It's a picture that people have. <laughs> but, you know, the guy that was sawing wood or doing some kind of like industry on the Sabbath day, he had been given warning after warning after warning prior yeah. to that. And he knew better, okay? I mean, this was like <laughs> it was uh it was a really serious defiance. And then there's another story where um a person like says the name of God and then curses or something like that. Yeah, and that person was cut off. <laughs> Actually, he didn't have to have a that person, Hashem gave the sentence for that. The profaning or cursing the name of Hashem, right? I don't even I don't know if you remember that story. I don't remember that story, no. <clears throat> so then you could take the story of Korach, right? And Korach was a person that knew better. Yes, he was. He was he was a person that knew better. He was some. He was like a cousin of uh, Moshe. Yeah, he was in rebellion. And Moshe fell on his face, you know, before God as soon as he heard that stuff from Korah. And um, you know, then that was in the, intended to give Korah some time to repent. And there's there's this interaction that takes place where you're gonna. Okay, okay, okay. Go, go get your your supporters and get 250. Have them burn incense, you know. But they're doing something wrong, so they all died. <laughs> I mean, and that was all prior to them. The Korok standing there, and the ground opens up. <sighs> so it's it's the combination of doing a sin, keeping doing the sin, being warned about the sin, willfully doing it over and over the sin. In the rebellion and like it's a form of escalation of the will that you're seeing with Korok and then finally just as it was Daniel pointed out it didn't take a court Hashem dealt with it mm-hmm. yeah how about the episode where Miriam talks bad about Moshe right mm-hmm. and moments later she's a leprosy <laughs> well that's why I'm pro uh, by marriage, that's the wrong word. Uh, interracial marriage. That's why I'm pro interracial marriage. <laughs> that's what it looks like. You can't deny him, and that's what the Hebrew word means. Mm-hmm. It does look like that she was it from the text. I mean, you look, you read it, and say, Well, you know, what was the problem? Well, she didn't like that it, it was, uh, to say that it was a Kushite would be like that was a black lady and Miriam didn't like him being involved with the black lady that's what it looks like I agree yeah that's what it looks like and so we don't go there okay all right so we've talked about the Haggadah at length the four questions how to make a very concise Haggadah 
a little bit about the Parsha and some other questions about what, Chametz? And the calendar and keeping time. And timekeeping and idolatry and don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, by the way, don't do it. Bad. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So I think that that's probably a good place to end. Um, I think we're ready for a bit of a break. So. Yeah. Well, Shabbat Shalom, David and listeners. It's been a pleasure. Hope you enjoyed. Yeah, Shabbat Shalom. And what we'll do is we'll pick up with in the middle of Passover, since there is no Parsha for next week. See you there. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom.